fixing Job, that Job should repent. Job chapter 8, we read here the word of God. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, How long will you say these things, and the words of your mouth will be a great wind? Does God pervert justice? Or does the Almighty pervert the right? If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. And though your beginning was small, your latter days will be very great. For require, please, of bygone ages, and consider what the fathers have searched out. For we are but of yesterday and know nothing, for our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words, utter their understanding? Let's move on to verse 20. Behold, a God will not reject a blameless man, nor take the hand of evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouting. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame, and the tent of the wicked will be no more. Then Job answered and said, Truly, I know that it is so, but how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? He who removes mountains and they know it not, when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretches out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea, who made the bear and the Arion and the Pleiades and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out and marvel things beyond number. Behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Behold, he snatches away. Who can turn him back? Who will say to him, what are you doing? God will not turn back his anger beneath him bows, bowed, bowed the helpers of Rahab. How then can I answer him, choosing my words with him? Though I am in the right, I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. If I summoned him and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. For he crushed me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not let me get my breath, but fills me with bitterness. If it is a contest of strength, behold, he is mighty. If it is a matter of justice, who can summon him? Though I am in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. I am blameless. I regard not myself. I loathe myself. It is all one. Therefore, I say, he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When disaster brings sudden death, he mocks at the calamity of the innocent. The earth is given into the hands of the wicked. He covers the faces of its judges. If it is not he, who then is it? My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They go by, the, by like skiffs of reed, like an eagle swooping on the prey. If I say, I will not forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and be of good cheer, I become afraid of all my suffering, for I know you will not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned, 
Why then do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you will plunge me into a pit, and my own clothes will hoard me. For he is not a man as I am that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not the dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. Thus far, to read from God's holy word. Let us now sing from hymn 15, verses 1 and 2. The textured proclamation, Lord's word for this morning, is taken from Job chapter 9, particularly verse 2b, which reads, But how can a man be in the right before God? Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, how can a man be right before God? Do you feel good when you do good? Does doing good make you feel that you're right before God? Many people feel that way. They're doing good things, and, and so they think they're, it's going to be okay for them in the next life. Does God blessing your life give you the sense that you might be in the right before God? What then if all of a sudden things go wrong? Do you still feel right before God? You see, this is a very important question that Job is asking here, to which he needs to find a satisfying answer, to which we need to find a satisfying answer. For if we were not in the right before God, then we have to deal with the, the wrath of God, the anger of God, and that cannot be good. Yet many in this world do indeed fear the anger of God. Many also interpret the violent storms, the hurricanes, the cyclones, the earthquakes, perhaps even the wildfires, as an expression of God's anger because of our sins. And in some sense, they are right. Just read the book of Revelation, especially when the seven seals are opened and the seven bowls are poured out and the seven trumpets are blown. In these, we see how God is pouring out his wrath against the sins of this world before his great and final day comes in. And how many, too, strive to live holy lives, not so much out of the love for the Lord, but out of their fear of the Lord. And so you see many doing good things and perhaps coming to church maybe twice a year, maybe at Christmas time and then Good Friday, just so that God might not be angry with them. But brothers and sisters, is there not a deep desire in all of us to want to be right before God too? But how can we be right before God? Can't a man even be right before God? That was Job's question. That was Job's struggle. Now, there are few people who live holier lives than Job, according to the Lord's own testimony concerning Job. And yet he seemed to experience the wrath of God and the affliction that came upon him one after another. And so, Job's question, how can a man be right before God? Now, some three and a half thousand years later, 
another brother struggled with the same question. Can a man be right or righteous before God? Yes, that was Martin Luther. And although these two men lived in totally different times, the one before the coming of Christ and the one after the coming of Christ, and although these two men had at their disposal different resources, in fact, Job did not have before him the scriptures. And certainly not as we had it today. But Martin Luther had the entire scriptures before him. Yet these two brothers, by the grace of God, came to the same conclusion that it's only through a mediator, or as Job calls him here, an arbiter, an arbitrator, can we be right before God. And brothers and sisters, that is the glorious message of the gospel. That's the glorious message of the scriptures that came out of the Reformation. And so I may proclaim to you the word of God this morning as follows. Righteousness is to be found only through a mediator. Now we'll see why. Basically because the works of man cannot save himself. And secondly, who? Who can that mediator be? Well, Martin Luther, on October 31st, 1517, now over 500 years ago, nailed those 95 theses on the church door in Wittelberg. It was one of the greatest events that ever occurred in history, in particular in church history. There's not a church of Jesus Christ that can deny the event of the Reformation. It echoes throughout the ages. But by nailing the 95 theses on the castle church door, Martin Luther was announcing to the whole Roman Catholic world his desire to debate with them one basic question. The question that was burning in the soul. How can a man be right before God? Martin Luther struggled with that question. For the, the Roman Catholic world did not give him the answer that would give him peace in his soul, mind, and body. The Roman Catholic Church said it was through good works that one could find peace of God, that one could be in the right before God. It was said that man is made right before God by worshiping relics and by receiving papal pardon and forgiveness, by purchasing indulgences, and by repeatedly attending the sacrament of Mass, and by praying to the Virgin Mary or to the saints or to the Pope in order to receive some merits. But all these answers equal one word, works. Works of a man. A man is right before God by his works, it was said, either by his own works or by the works of a saint, Virgin Mary or the Pope, whoever. But such an answer did not give Luther the peace that he so sought for. And so Martin Luther struggled with that question. How can a man truly be righteous before God? And by the grace of God, he found his answer. And he received the answers. He found it here in the scriptures. However, Job, as we saw earlier, another brother of our Lord, also struggled with that very same question. Three and a half thousand years earlier, but he did not have the Bible. He did not have the scriptures. The written word to turn to as, as Martin Luther could turn to and, and as we can turn to and must do. No, Job stood very much all by himself in the time period in which he lived. But he was not alone. God was with him. And through his dealings with Job, God already then, so very early in the history of the church, so very early 
in the history of salvation reveals to us the truth that salvation is not by works of a man, but by the work of God alone, in His Son alone, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the book of Job is one of the most intriguing books of the Bible. For in the book of Job, we get a glimpse of the struggle between God and Satan, a struggle that concerns man. To whom does man belong? Who controls man's life? Yes, God created man. Thus, man belongs to God. But man deliberately chose to follow Satan. And so although man originally belonged to God, being created by God, man now belongs to Satan. Because the person you listen to becomes your boss, not so. Man deliberately chose to disobey and rebel against God. But Satan is not the Almighty One. God, Yahweh, is the Almighty, Servant Lord of all creation, despite earth's fall into Satan's hands. And Yahweh, of his own free will and good pleasure, decided to keep a certain number of his fallen race for himself. And in them, he would work faith and trust in him again and forgive them their trespasses and sins. But God made it very clear from the very beginning that this deliverance would come through one born of a woman. For he had forewarned man, if you eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And so this deliverance can only come through a payment, a payment that must involve a death of a true and righteous man, as Adam was before he fell into sin. So God exercised justice. Our God is a just God. Indeed, in the book of Job, we see how God and Satan struggle over the person of of Job. God is gracious, and through this book gives us a glimpse of the cause of our misery. No, it is not God's fault, for man chose against God. It's also not Satan's fault, though man is the cause of his own misery, for he deliberately chose to follow Satan. And having done so, Satan can now do with man what he wills. Yes, but only up to a point. For above Satan again stands our sovereign Lord. And he will not allow his children to suffer at Satan's hands beyond what they can bear. And he also gives them a way out while under trial. And that way out is by giving his children knowledge of himself, of his majesty, of his power, and of his justice, but also of his grace, mercy, and love. Yes, the book of Job is all the more fascinating when you realize that Job lived at a time not long after Abraham. Thus, Job did not have the Mosaic books of the Old Testament even, from which he could receive words of comfort and strength during his time of need. He could not read the books of Moses, much less all the other books of the Old Testament and New Testament, which we can enjoy today. Yet, as the waves of, and bellows of troubles flow over him, one after another and increasing agony, He needs answers, and he seeks answers. But where is he to find them? He does not have the Old Testament, New Testament to turn to as we may today. And then, brothers and sisters, we must also stand amazed at how much depth and how much insight God had given to Job of himself, of his majesty, of his power, of his grace and mercy, also of his justice, which Job believed with all his heart that God was fair and right. 
even though God had not yet given the written word, God worked marvelously in Job's heart. A strong faith in him with the little information that had been passed down through the ages to him, through the fathers and former generations. So think about it, brothers and sisters. Job lost everything. All his livestock, all his servants, all his livelihood, and then also his seven sons and, and three daughters. That is so devastating. Think about it. But a year ago, one of our pastors lost his son in a motorbike accident. That was devastating for the parents. That's only one child. Here, Job loses seven sons and three daughters, all his children. And then this is what he says. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. What faith? Could you say that under these circumstances? Yes, you would be able to, because the Lord gives the strength. But here we see the strength of faith that God gave to Job. An amazing strength. Job believed in God and strove to, to live a righteous life before God. And we immediately also receive a very good attestation of Job. In the very first chapter, in the verses in the book, there we read that Job was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. And Job was even so very conscientious that man was a sinner, that he would even after his children had a party the night before, he would rise up early in the morning and, and offer burnt offering according to the number of his children. For he said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And then when Satan came before God and disputed on the well-being of Job, the Lord gives this attestation concerning Job. There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Wow. Talk about a saint. And you certainly have one here, don't we? If someone from the Roman Catholic Church was looking for a saint to, to pray to and hope to get some merits and get to heaven, then they should consider Job. For Job, for the Lord said of Job, there is none like him on the earth. However, Job would be the first person to say, stop this nonsense, for I know I am a sinner. He even says in verse 20 of chapter 9, though I am in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. And in verse 28, he says, I become afraid of all my suffering, for I know you will not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned if I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lie. Yet you would plunge me into the pit, and my own clothes would abhor me. Brothers, isn't it striking? God gives such a wonderful testimony to Job. And with such a wonderful testimony, you would think that Job really has nothing to worry about, does he? Job, too, loves the Lord. He strives to walk in holy and godly life as a person and as a family man. And yet, he does not have peace with all the good works he does. Job knows that none of his good works will save him. In fact, all those afflictions that came over him helps him even to realize that he remains a sinner, guilty before his Lord. And so he continues to struggle with, how can a man be right before God? Yes, it is because Job strives to live so upright before the Lord 
that he cannot understand. Why the Lord is dealing with him in this way? What is going on here? Why all this sudden calamity in his life? Is God just? In fact, Job begins to ask that question in verse 22. Is it really all the same? Does God destroy both the wicked and the blameless? You see, Job comes to great despair. For despite the good he does, it does not help him one little bit. Through all this, Job comes to the realization that he's in need of a mediator. Outside of all the good that he does, his good helps him nothing. It seems like the Lord is rubbing Job's nose, as it were, literally in the dirt, so that it would become abundantly clear to Job that nothing in him, nothing whatsoever, what he does, can save him. All his health, all his wealth cannot save him. Job needs a mediator outside of himself. And let's be honest, brothers and sisters, though we have that struggle at times too, that when we're striving to live godly and holy lives, don't we expect God to bless us? And then when troubles come upon us, don't we get a little bit confused at times? Don't we also have the why question come up in our minds at times? Why, Lord? Well, the three best friends of Job come to sit with Job and attempt to comfort him from his despair. But they too are at a loss. They know that Job is an upright and honest man. They're bosom friends. Therefore, they cannot understand why. Why this happened to their friend. Unless there is something in Job's life that they are not aware of. Uh Aha. Yes, that must be it. Job must have a secret life. You know, people can have secret lives, right? And sometimes wives can hide something from the husband, the husband's from the wives, or parents from the children, children from the parents. Job must have a secret life. On the outside, he looks so pure and holy. But on the inside, he must be crooked and wicked. Yes, that must be it. For surely God would not punish the wicked, the upright and the blameless man, would he? That is the only logical conclusion that they can come to. Job must be a real sinner. He must be a sinner of the worst kind. They have all these troubles come upon him. And Bildad expresses that so piercely when he says, Does God perverse justice? Does the Almighty pervert right? God has just said, Bildad. And that is why all this is happening to you, Job. Let's face it, Job. It can't be anything else. Your calamities has exposed your sins, your hidden sins, the deep sins of your heart. It cannot be anything else. You are a sinner, Job, and you must be a sinner of the worst kind. You appear to be so righteous, but you're a hypocrite. God has seen your sins, Job, and God is now exposing you for who you really are. Repent, Job, and surely God will bless you again. But Job answers, no, no, no. That cannot be true. I do not have any hidden sin in my life. I have no hidden sin in my heart. Yes, Job recognizes that he's a sinner, but not in the sense that God would now punish him for some hidden sin. Nothing has changed in Job's life with respect to being upright and blameless, that God should bless him in days gone by and now curse his life as it were. Job cannot agree with Bildad's evaluation of his situation. He said that is not the case. And therefore there's no comfort in what Bildad says. In fact, 
By chapter 16, Job has only one conclusion about his friends, and that is this. They're all miserable comforters. Miserable comforters are you, he declares. You don't bring me comfort. You don't lift me out of my troubles. You only add to my troubles. You say this because of my sin that I'm lying here in the dirt. You say it's because of my sin that I'm, I'm sitting here on this ash heap and, and scraping myself in this pot chair. You say this because God has dealt with me. And that is why he has taken everything away from me. You say it's my fault. But it's not true. You have it all wrong. You don't have the answers to my trouble. You cannot give me what I need to be lifted up out of my misery. And then listen to what Bildad further has to say. In verse 4 he says, Your children have sinned against him, and he has delivered them into the hands of their transgression. Well, how can anyone talk like that to a parent who tried to live an honest and upright life, who even went out of the way to bring sacrifice to the Lord, lest his children sinned against him when they had a party the night before? This is more than a man can take. Here's a man who has brought up his children in a beautiful way, in a way that is an example to all God's children, to all parents. What a slap in the face it must be to Job when a friend says such a thing to him. Basically, they are saying to Job, Job, your children must have sinned something terrible to have lost their lives all at the same time. Just imagine, brothers and sisters, after all the striving to teach your children to walk in the ways of the Lord, and then someone comes up to you after an accident of your children, or one of your ch- children, and he say to you, he got what he deserves. Indeed, miserable comforters they are. Those friends of Job, if such are your friends, who needs enemies? Miserable comforters indeed. Even if there was some truth in their statement, for who is without sin? Yet what comfort would such a statement be to Job? Miserable comfort, that's what they are. They're the ones who have come in order to, to bring comfort to Job. Instead of comforting Job, they make matters a whole lot worse. They cannot give him the solution to his troubles. The solution they gave him places Job even into greater despair. And that is why Job cries out, for he knows it is true what Bildad says, that God does punish the wicked. He knows it's true what Bildad says, that God knows those who who live holy and righteous life, who strive to live a holy and righteous life, and God will bless them. God will bless those who turn to him with repentant heart. Those who confess their sins, God will bless. But he has always lived an upright and blameless life before the Lord. Therefore, for what particular sin must he now confess so that God will bless him again? See, Job is at a loss. He's in great despair. He's in great misery. Job cries out for an arbiter, for none of his deeds help him. None of his friends help him. And so we come to the second point. Who can be that mediator? Job cries out because he sees no way out. Pastor, think of yourself as, as having no knowledge of the written word, not having a Bible. As having no knowledge of the cross. As having no knowledge of the communion table where you may be strengthened again and again. Remembering Christ's death for you. And then be faced with this, that you've lost everything, including your children. And then even your beloved wife, your helpmeet, 
for life. But say to you, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. That's got to be the ultimate misery. The person closest to you who's supposed to be your helpmeet in your walk before the Lord tells you to curse God and die. Brothers and sisters, when we see someone suffering, we can go to them and comfort them with the complete word of God before us. And we can say to them with confidence, for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who are called to his purpose. We know that it's true. Sometimes it's hard. But we know it's true for the scripture. We see that all God's promises come true in Jesus Christ. But Job did not know that. He had not seen the Christ. And then he seeks an answer to that most important question in his life. How can a man be right before God? We know that there's one who's going to bring that justice, that righteousness, that can bring man to stand right before God again. But Job did not know that. You see, he's just standing before the facts as he sees them. And as he now experiences them, that is, not just the the misery he's now experiencing after having been so healthy and so well-to-do, but also the knowledge of God that the Lord gives to him. That Job has experienced God in creation and experienced God in the government of his creation, but which Job knows that God is indeed almighty. He is the one who created everything. He causes the mountains to collapse to landslides. He shakes the earth through earthquakes, volcanoes, he speaks to the sun and the stars and, and they respond and so we have eclipses and meteorites falling. Then who can stand before such a mighty one when though living as righteous life as possible yet he is punished with such calamities? How can a man be right before God? Job cries. And as we saw earlier three and a half thousand years earlier Martin Luther struggled with that very same question. Through good works teachings of the church Of those days, the congregation members were kept from seeing the grace of God in Christ's work alone on the cross. But Martin Luther had the scriptures. And so when he struggled with that same question, how can a man be righteous before God? He could find the answer in the scriptures. And he found it in Romans 1 verse 17, where the Apostle Paul wrote, The righteous shall live by faith. And then in the following chapters of Romans, the Apostle Paul made it abundantly clear that righteousness is not by works of a man in obedience to the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ's work alone, on the cross alone. Yet Job, too, had faith. We saw that. He had faith in God, a God of might, a God of power, a God of justice, a God who does as he pleases, a God who you can cannot call to account, who does not have to give account to anyone. Bildad tried to convince Job that you must be an awful sinner, and your children too must have been awful sinners. But Job had responded very clearly, no, that is not true, that cannot be true. But how can a man be righteous before God? Who can plead his case? Who can look into Job's heart and know what really lives there in his heart? Job defends himself in the charges against him, by his friends. For Job was convinced that although he's a sinner like everyone else, yet he has not committed any gross and deliberate sin against God, that God should now punish him in such bitter ways. But who is there to deliver him? 
You see, a sense of great hopelessness overwhelms him. For the very one, God, who is able to defend him, is the very one who has allowed all these catastrophes to come upon him. Who then can he then turn to? Who is he, Job, to call God, God to account? God is the creator. Man is a mere man, a mere creature of God's creation. So Job says in verse 32, For he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him that we should come to trial together. And therefore, Job yearns for a mediator, desperately wishes that there was an arbitrator. And I'm sure the students of the catechism class have been taught well with respect to what is a mediator. A mediator is a go-between, someone who stands between two opposite parties and, and brings them together again. You know, sometimes children can get into a struggle too, and their mom and dad needs to pull them apart. Put hand, one hand on one person, the other hand on the other person, and pull them apart. Job yearns for someone like that. Job yearns for such a one who could put a hand on him and a hand on God and not pull him apart, but bring them together again into a relationship. Job in Job 19, his thoughts develop to the point that he confesses that there is no redeemer outside of God himself. He then places his complete faith and trust in God as the one and only who in the end will need to redeem him from all his troubles, for there is none other. And so Job 19, he declares in full confidence and trust, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God, whom I shall see for myself. My eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. But Job does not know what we know today about how God will go about redeeming his people. Job yearns for a mediator who has sufficient credentials so he can put one hand on one party man and the other hand on the other party God and so draw them together again, God and man. Thus the mediator must be someone who is more than a man, more than one who walks as a man upon the earth, someone who is both man and God. Now, from where would Job have received some sense that one day there would be such a mediator walking upon the earth? He would receive that from what his fathers told him. As you read in Job 8, verse 8, consider what the fathers had searched out. And so as the promise of paradise was passed down through the generation, he could have known that the Redeemer would be born of a woman. And so he would be a man. But how could Job know that he would be at the same time true God, so that the mediator, so he would be the mediator that, that Job so longed for. Job could not have known that. He only knows that a mediator is necessary. Someone who could say, could, can lay a hand on him and on God and so restore peace, bring him and God together again. Brothers and sisters, what Job longed for, but Job could not yet see we, by the grace and mercy of our God, may know and see today. That we may celebrate in the Reformation. God brought back the church to focus on the Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as the only mediator for our sins, as the only means of redemption and peace, as the only way we can stand right before God. Peace 
is only brought about by that one deed done by him who alone is true God and true man. Our Lord Jesus Christ, as he hung on a cross as God and man, it is by the power of his Godhead that he could pay in his human nature the wrath of God against our sins. And so we bring about peace to the cross between God and man. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who could lay a hand on God and say to his Father, Father, these are the ones whom you have given to me. These are the ones for whom I have died. Glorify them now with the glory I had of you before the foundation of the world. And he can lay his other hand on us and say to us, Brothers and sisters, come into the inheritance of your heavenly Father, which I prepared for you through my death on the cross. For though your sins were like crimson, I have made them as white as snow, so that your heavenly Father no longer sees them anymore. Through me, you have received access, access to your Father in heaven. Yes, brothers and sisters, righteousness is only to be found in our one and only mediator and savior, Jesus Christ. May Christ alone be your only comforter. Also, in your time of need, in your every circumstances of life, even though it may sometimes be very, very difficult. Our Lord Jesus Christ alone is our only comforter, as he alone, in his righteous deed on the cross, can and has brought us back into a wonderful relationship with our loving Heavenly Father. To God be the praise and glory alone for his unfathomable loving mercies upon us, all out of grace, in Christ alone. Amen.